Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast, part of the Chargers Podcast Network. Tyler, it still feels really weird to say that. Uh, can't be happier about you know our second episode being the draft wrap-up and excited to dive into the Chargers selections here. Uh, but how are you today, man? What's up? Uh, I'm doing very well. It's nice to just, you can just feel the draft stuff just leave my brain. And that feels so good. As soon as the draft was over, I just had this nice, clear mind. And it was so nice. So I'm doing great. Steven, how are you? I'm doing good. I uh, I got to like hang out on sat on Sunday and like not have to wow. watch film, uh, you know, and uh, like I, we were just like sitting there watching some of the basketball games and my, my wife was like, oh, you're not watching film. Like, are, are we going to like go hang out somewhere? Or, like, you want to go do something? And I'm like, no, I just want to like kind of sit down and watch something else besides football and college tape. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, excited to uh, dive into all of it. Um, you know, we're going to do some summer film watching at some point in terms of like NFL stuff, you know, we dove in a little bit to Kellen Moore's offense a few weeks ago on our show. And I'm excited to do that and see how all of these pieces kind of fit together. So, um, like Tyler said, uh, we are diving into this draft class. We're going to have, we're going to approach this from a different kind of angle. You know, everybody kind of does draft grades. We didn't really want to do it that way. So we're going to have draft superlatives today, uh, kind of six different categories to break down, uh, hopefully some of, uh, all of the selections, if not, uh, you know, a couple pieces here and there. So um, we are going to talk first and foremost about Quentin Johnson. He's the first round pick. He's the big name. So we'll kind of break things down there. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to dive things into dive into things uh, this afternoon. So um, as always, we are independent contractors. We are not representatives from the Chargers organization. So the opinions that we share on this podcast network do not always reflect the opinions of the actual organization. So we're still fans, just like everybody listening to this. And uh, we just happen to be podcasting about the team uh, on the team's channel. So uh, Tyler, let's dive in here first and foremost with the pick of Quentin Johnson. We've had a a few days now to uh, simmer on things. The dust has settled. We've went back and revisited some of his college tape. Uh, how are you feeling about the selection of Mr. Quentin Johnson with the 21st pick by the Chargers last Thursday night? Yeah, I'm feeling really, really good about this pick. It's a player that I wish we had talked about more, but as we said on our live show, we went in so many different directions that it was so obvious that Quentin Johnson could have been the guy that it's like we skipped over him somehow. We talked about who it wouldn't be or who it would be later, but not Quentin Johnson at 21, but after looking at you know him and what he does, reviewing the numbers and whatnot, it almost just seemed like so obvious, and it makes so much sense for the Chargers considering what they need, um, what they weren't so good at last year. And I want to just look at these images here, sent to us by one Arjun from Pro Football Focus. This is where the Chargers were at last year, the last two seasons actually, in terms of yards after the catch per reception and forced missed tackle rate. Now, again, this is the NFL numbers here. So what we'll see from Quentin Johnson is obviously in college football, but the Chargers, for lack of better words, weren't the best at this. This is not really the wide receiver room that they had. Their skill sets don't really match with yards after the catch per reception and missed tackles, for, missed tackles forced. But you look at someone right. like Quentin Johnston and his college film and the numbers that he provides, where he is right now, and I'm trying to, I'll try to describe this for the audio audience, but... Quentin Johnson is by far and away from the last class the best guy in terms of yards after the catch per reception and missed tackle, uh, missed tackles forced rate. He's fantastic. And even compared to some of the receivers that a lot of Chargers fans wanted, 
some of the receivers that we had discussed. If he does one thing incredibly well, and there's no doubt about this, it's forcing missed tackles and getting those yards after the catch. And that's evident here in this graph as well. Looking at them side by side, you have Quentin Johnston versus where the Chargers were at last year. And again, this is this is college versus NFL. I get that. But if you right. feel like your team was not great after the catch and was not forcing missed tackles, then getting Quentin Johnson, who clearly is great at them, is a wonderful addition to this team. So just looking at that alone, I was so happy with the selection because he provides something the Chargers don't have. And Kellen Moore is going to love using Quentin Johnson. And Justin Herbert's going to love using him. I mean, I would love for Justin Herbert to be able to just hand the football off basically via nice, you know, shallow crosser or whatever. And Quentin Johnson gets nine more yards or 40 more yards, you know, like there's so much yeah. he can do that really wasn't there last year that Herbert's kind of been, he hasn't really had in a while. And Johnson's going to be able to provide that. But more than just the short game, right, is the deep downfield stuff. And again, that's what Chargers fans have been craving. Really the two things. Can we make things easier for Herbert with a screen or a shallow crosser, or can we push it down the field? And Quentin Johnston, with deep target rate versus yards per reception, is one of the best of the last few classes in terms of pushing the ball downfield. So it's, it's really hard to look at this pick and say, I dislike that pick. I really like this pick yeah. because the Chargers knew what they needed. They knew that they were missing something, some element or several elements to their team, and they went, let's go get the guy that fills those needs the best in this class. So I really like this pick, man. I don't know about you. Yeah, you know, I, I think in terms of instant reaction, it was it was kind of a surprise for us because, you know, there wasn't a ton of, like, top 20 buzz surrounding Quentin Johnston by the national media members, um, you know, and really until late in the process. I think leading up to the combine, he was, like, the betting favorite to actually be the first receiver taken. And then for whatever reason, there was this surge for Jackson Smith and Jigba. There was a surge for Zay Flowers, for Jordan Addison. Um, even guys like Peter Schrager, like leading up to the draft were saying, you know, like, oh, like Jackson Smith and Jigba, Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison, Addison. Those are the ones who are kind of going to be like the first receivers off the board. And then there was really like a late surge uh, in the week leading up to the draft for Quentin, you know, uh, moving up betting markets. And he was even the, the favorite to be sele- to be selected by the Chargers as of Wednesday um, on uh, DraftKings. So there was just this kind of late surge that made me kind of think like from a Chargers perspective, you know, they'll, maybe they'll be a little bit more flexible. Maybe they'll take a pass rusher in the first round. Maybe they'll take a corner. Maybe they'll take one of the tight ends and then they'll get one of the receivers in the second round. And that, that was kind of like our focus throughout the pre-draft process was maybe a Jonathan Mingo, maybe a Marvin Mims, maybe a Tyler Scott um, in the second round, because the first round didn't really have a receiver who fit that kind of type. And then like we, like we were just talking about, you know, Quentin Johnson checked all these boxes and it was probably staring the pick was probably staring us right in the face and we should have definitely talked about it more often. So from a, a schematic fit, I really like this this addition to the room. I mean, you shared those numbers and uh, we greatly appreciate Arjun for being able to, you know, stack those up together and, and talk about them. And I, I think that that speaks to how far the draft in general has come because like, I mean, five years ago, like we were not, <laughs> we were not talking about yards after catch per reception and missed forced tackle rate and stuff like that. Um, and so just the ability that Quentin has to take these short passes or take the long passes and, and take them to the house. Like I think for me, when you look at the numbers, one of the things that really stands out is that when he was a freshman at TCU, his average depth of target was over 18 yards and he still was averaging eight yards after the catch per reception. 
And then this past year at TCU, his average depth of target was down to 12, and he was still averaging eight yards <laughs> and 8.9 yards after the catch. So that tells you that he can be a yards after the catch threat regardless of where you are throwing him the football. And that's an elite trait. And when you're picking in outside of the top 15, like you're trying to identify elite traits. And Quentin Johnson obviously has the athleticism in terms of his vertical jump, in terms of his, in terms of his broad jump, in terms of his GPS tracking data from a speed profile perspective. Um, and then he has all of the data points that you mentioned too. So mm-hmm. um, that, that part of the box certainly is checked off with Quentin and Johnson. Then you go back and watch some of his film and you can just picture, right, Justin Herbert throwing a deep post to Quentin Johnston and and maybe you have Mike Williams running a drag underneath and maybe you have Josh Palmer on the other side running a deep out or something like that. Um, and you can see it vice versa, right? Like how many times have we seen Mike Williams run a deep over route and Justin Herbert just launches that thing to Mike Williams? And now you can have Quentin Johnson being your deep threat to take attention away from Mike Williams as well. So for those who are maybe kind of concerned that Maybe the Chargers picked the wrong receiver. I, I think you should revisit what you your opinion was of Quentin Johnson because I think he can be a do-it-all wide receiver. I think in the short term, and we can certainly talk about his fit at some point today in, in with the superlatives, but in the short term, you know, you don't have to make him be your number one wide receiver. He doesn't even have to be your number two. He can be, you know, emphasis on the yards after the catch opportunities, emphasis on the short routes and, you know, occasional deep shots. And you can ease him into things, and then next year you see what you have in terms of a potential number one wide receiver. So I love his short-term fit. I love his long-term output, like we talked about leading into the draft. This is the highest ceiling of any of these wide receivers because of his athletic profile and because he can do so many different roles for you, play so many different roles. You know, a lot of these receivers in this class are smaller, shorter guys who are probably best working from the slot. Quentin can go out and be an X. He can go be a Z. He can go be a slot. And also, man, I really love watching him block on tape. The dude's Mm -hmm. a fantastic blocker too. And so I just, I think he checks so many different boxes. And like you said, I'm, I'm annoyed at myself for not like talking (laughs) about him more leading up to the draft. Yeah. There's so much focus. I think sometimes on, you know, who your favorite player was or what the player selected can't do. You could argue that what Quentin Johnston, quote unquote, like can't do at this moment, maybe sharper routes, maybe, you know, working on contested catches. Um, I'll give you Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And for at least the next year, (laughs) you could learn from those guys. And you talk about those three wide receiver sets. The Cowboys under Kellen Moore were in those three wide receiver sets about 70% of the time. I think that was like second or third in the NFL over that span. And in those three wide receiver sets, the Cowboys were third in EPA per play and third in passing success rate. So they're really, really good at working with these three wide receivers. Granted, you know, different receivers, different team. I get that. But Kellen Moore wants to do that. And now you have Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Quentin Johnston, three good receivers with diverse skill sets who can do so many different things. Watch out, man. And the Cowboys were even, I think, first in EPA per play on rushing downs out of three wide receiver sets partially because I think of the way the receivers can block. And you just mentioned Quentin Johnson, how good he is as a blocker. At minimum, he's at least big enough to execute those blocks. But you see on film that he's really good at those too. So sky's the limit for this offense, honestly. I, I really do like this selection more and more and more and more every day. Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned learning from another pro. I mean, how great is it to learn from Keenan Allen, you know, mm-hmm. as a run blocker too. And, yes, you know, I think part of the reason why we focus so much on the tight ends is, is what Kellen Moore 
uh, was able to do in Dallas from uh, 12 personnel. And Brett Coleman did a great job in his first video on the channel, uh, you know, breaking that down. But then today, like you listen to Kellen Moore and his press conference and he was saying like, yeah, like that's what we did the last few years because that's what was working for us. Mm -hmm. You go back and, and watch maybe the last year of Jason Garrett's tenure and it's CeeDee Lamb, it's uh, Amari Cooper, it's Michael Gallup. And it was just like, we're going to go 11 personnel and we're just going to like slice and dice you and we're going to do yards after the catch, deep shots. And that's a very similar skill set to what the Chargers have with the uh, with this trio and that's before you even get to a, a guy like Josh Palmer. So, you know, you can get out here, have Keenan Allen in the slot, Mike Williams as your X, Quentin Johnson as your Z. You know, maybe you flex Gerald Everett out to the slot. You flex Austin Eckler out to the slot. There's a ton of possibilities with this offense that Kellen Moore is going to be able to really, you know, uh, create mismatches on a weekly basis with this kind of skill set that the Chargers needed. Like you said, this this was a guy that they needed to add, and, and maybe we kind of focus on round two for that kind of skill set, but... I mean, obviously getting it in round one works more than okay as well. Yeah, I mean, we discussed Jonathan Mingo for some of the same reasons, right? When I we mock yeah. drafted him, I said, hey, you know, who can take a screen to the house? Who can take a shallow crosser? Who can develop and push the ball down the field? That was Quentin Johnson. We just called him Jonathan Mingo. Our bad. We missed it by a <laughs> round. We were close. Um, having Josh yeah. Palmer as your wide receiver for someone who had 105 yards and two touchdowns against the Chiefs, like that's your wide receiver for. And then you add, of course, we'll talk about Darius Davis. You have Jalen Guyton. What a room. What a fantastic room. The big question, though, is who takes the jet sweep? Oh, yeah, man. That's going to be a lot of fun, though, because <laughs> they, now they have two guys. Last year, they only had one with uh, DeAndre Carter. Now they can do it with Quentin and Darius Davis. Obviously, uh, we'll get to him in a second, I'm sure. So, um, you know, I, I would encourage, like, like I said, I would encourage everybody that's that's feeling still a little bit negative about the pick to think beyond of like what Quentin is right now and realize that you're not asking him to be your wide receiver one. And, you know, maybe teams who are drafting a guy like a Zay Flowers or drafting a guy like a Jordan Addison, you're going to rely on them as your one or your two at times. And Quentin Johnson is, is not going to be forced into that box. So play to his strengths right now. And again, you, you're betting on the ceiling here. And maybe next year when you have to make a decision on Keenan Allen or Mike Williams, Quentin can step into a bigger role. And then just sky's the limit. And also, he gets to play with Justin Herbert, man. Like, Justin Herbert's a huge part of this, too. So, uh, you know, Justin Herbert pairing him with a guy like Quentin Johnson who can uh, average almost a whole first down after the catch, whether that's a screen or a post down the field, 50 yards. Like, sign me up. I think this is going to be a really exciting uh, duo for the next five, six years, depending on how, obviously, the, the contract situations pan out. But I, I, like you, the more you think about it, the more you like this pick with Quentin Johnston. Yeah, I would agree. I, I don't think, if we're going to talk about projections, at least in year one, I don't think he's going to have as many yards as, say, maybe Zay Flowers or some of these guys that are going to be relied on a lot more. Yeah. Right? These guys don't have a Keenan Allen or Mike Williams. Like, there's two $20 million wide receivers on this roster already. So I wouldn't go into this season thinking, oh, cool, offensive rookie of the year. That's probably Bijan's the favorite, I'm sure, at this point. But. And there were don't three first-round quarterbacks. Yeah, well, yeah, whatever. Uh, we, <laughs> what's a quarterback? <laughs> I don't watch them anymore. I just watch Justin Herbert. We have him. Um, but I think Quentin Johnston, maybe this year, not going to see the full extent of it in terms of raw yeah. numbers, but you're going to see that per-play basis increase. Like, look at where the Chargers were last year in EPA per play or red zone or explosive play rate. Like, they were not worst in the league in those categories, and that's what you have Justin Herbert. You still had, at moments, Keenan Allen 
Mike Williams, but Quentin Johnson, even if the raw numbers aren't there, are going to help push this offense closer to that top five, like they were more in 2021, although a different flavor and style of offense. Yeah, absolutely. And you talking about 2021, like you have arguably the deepest stable of wide receivers that Justin Herbert has ever had, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Josh Palmer was a guy who almost had a thousand yards last year. I think it was like 890. And then you have Jalen Guyton coming back. We'll see about the health there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Darius Davis filling that wide receiver six role, wide receiver five, you know, to be determined in terms of camp and stuff like that. But uh, this is a deep group, man. So I'm, I'm excited to see how it all pans out. All right, let's get to some of our, our super, superlatives here. Uh, we have six of them, and I'm excited to see which selections are fitting each category. Obviously, kind of just running through it, Chargers going Quentin Johnson in the first round. Um, Tuli, Tui Pelotu in the second round, the edge rusher from USC. Mr. Dayon Henley, who's already becoming a fan favorite on social media, linebacker from Washington State in the third round. In the fourth round, that's where the Chargers took Darius Davis to fill their returner role and, and give them some speed, some legit 4-3-6 speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, then in the fifth round, they get Mr. Jordan McFadden, big guy, offensive lineman from Clemson. Sixth round, getting uh, Matt um, – or excuse me, I'm totally blanking on his first Scott name right now. Scott Matlock. Help me out. Scott Matlock. I almost said Matt Matlock. That's not right. <laughs> Scott Matlock, excuse me, uh, Mr. Matlock from Boise State. And then rounding out the class with Max Duggan in the seventh round. So, uh, Tyler, let's hit our favorite value pick uh, from this class. Who would your choice be in terms of the value the Chargers got? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Matt Murdock. No, I'm kidding. Scott Matlock, the <laughs> defensive tackle from Boise State. I almost went Dayon Henley because by definition of the value, you're looking at the consensus board versus where they got him. And Henley really was the best value, but... Then I watched Scott Matlock, and I just feel he's the best value selection because you've got a player that's above 75th percentile in pass rush win rate and productivity. He can win with power. He can win with a rip or a swipe. He can play all over the line. He's got an elite RAS to pair with an elite motor. And I'm watching and I'm going, there's no way this was a six-round pick. Like, are you kidding me? I would have. I don't know where I would have graded him, but I wouldn't have been – a sixth round grade, that's for sure. This guy's a ton of fun to watch. And Staley in his press conference after the draft talked about, you know, he's he's kind of like a jaw Taylor where they brought him in and he just wowed the defensive coaching staff. And I totally get it. This guy on film is everything you want for the Chargers. And especially as a sixth round pick, like so much upside to him. You can develop him. He's got so many things he can do right now. But then the upside, like the ceiling is there. And he's got such a high motor. There was a play against Air Force where he quarterback keeps the ball and he's moving down the line to go get that quarterback quarterback goes the other direction he runs another 40 yards the other way to tackle the quarterback like and that's all over the film for him he's like you want power you want a rip you want whatever like there's so much he can do and that's a sixth round pick I'm feeling like so good about him overall do I think other players are quote-unquote better players Sure, like other draft picks. Quentin Johnson at 21. Like Quentin Johnson was the better, graded, better pick. But man, in terms of my favorite pick, I think it's him. And apparently, he's coming to take souls. Yeah, uh, anytime you hear a player talk about that, <laughs> uh, he's got a lot of confidence, man. And um, two years ago, Boise State came here to, to Fresno. And, and my wife and I and, our, and her family all went and watched the game. And the loudest trash tracker on the field, man, was this big number 99 on <laughs> Boise State. 
<laughs> and I was like, man, who is this guy? He's just talking all over the place. And Fresno State had an elite offense that year. You know, that was the year when Jay Kaner was was most healthy. Uh, Jalen Cropper, you know, Nico Remigio, all these guys. Uh, that was the year that Fresno State had beaten UCLA. And Boise State was not exactly like a great – they didn't have a great season that year. But you would have thought that this guy was the best player on the field – we're on the best team in the Mountain West, best team on the West Coast with how much he was talking. And he backed it up, man. He was living in the backfield that day. I, I want to say he had two tackles for loss. He had a sack on Mr. Jay Kaner. Um, and it, that really stuck out to me when I was like, okay, like I hear this guy talking about, oh, I'm going to come for his souls. And then Brandon <laughs> said he calls him a war daddy. And it, it just like, in terms of six-round picks, man, like I think that just is – like that's what you do with a six-round. You take a shot – on a guy who just has this kind of upside athletically as well as the un, the intangibles here with his leadership. I want to say he was a captain of Boise State too. And just his his ferocious mentality I think is, is going to be a lot of fun to watch. So uh, you mentioned Dayon Henley. I'm going to go with Dayon Henley here myself in terms of best value. Um, in terms of the consensus board, this was the closest value pick of Tom Telesco's tenure. In the third round, um, Keenan Allen, the consensus boards were not around for Keenan Allen when he was drafted, <laughs> to clarify there. Um, so, Dayon Henley, um, I think from a fit perspective, I really love the, the possibilities that you can have with Dayon Henley as your linebacker three. Maybe he kind of pushes for linebacker two. We'll see. Um, but I think your initial role for Dayon Henley is, is as a third down weapon. And you're going to use him in coverage. You're going to use him as a blitzer. Because I do think, like, from a physicality standpoint, like, it's going to take him a little bit to get used to the NFL level. Um, but, again, the Chargers don't have to rush him out there. So, I think my favorite thing about Mr. Dayon Henley is his ability in pass coverage. Like, you watch him, mm. and Washington State would use him in the slot. They would use him to carry over routes. They would use him as a deep hook in terms of, like, a Tampa 2 coverage. So, you, it's very easy for me to see like the way that the Chargers used Drew Tranquil last year in pass coverage and put Dayon Henley in that kind of role. And I think he can handle that. I think he can match up with tight ends. I think he can carry over routes. I think he can play you know, middle hook and be able to, to uh, spy quarterbacks. Like I think his, his instincts in pass coverage are so, so good. And then you're able to use him as a pass, as a, as a blitzer as well. So Getting that kind of player in your in the third round, he was my fourth highest graded linebacker. Really, was probably like my favorite linebacker watch. Um, mm -hmm. This linebacker class was not a lot of fun to watch in general, <laughs> uh, but Dayon was, and you know, Dayon I think brings you a lot of cool attributes to look at, as well as the potential fit here behind Eric Kendricks and Kenneth Murray, and the balance of that linebacker group. I think you can see a lot of good things coming with that with that unit. Yeah, you talk about the coverage. Last year, Murray and Tranquil blitzed 117 times for 29 pressures and six sacks. They were surprisingly fourth and fifth in pass rush win rate out of 62 linebackers. Really good duo in that regard. Henley kind of get the same thing. Like It's exactly what the Chargers want to work with, at least initially with him. Um, obviously, you want a, a complete three-down linebacker. But at minimum, he can rush. He rushed 67 times in college football last year for 18 pressures and five sacks. Seventh best in pass rush productivity out of 81 linebackers. So, you know, a great scheme fit there, I think. Exactly what they want to do. And a bit of a steal to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Tyler, let's move on to our next superlative here, which is going to be uh, the most immediate impact. Who would be your choice for that category? 
I'm kind of hoping because he's the 21st selection, but I'm, I'm going with Quentin Johnston. I think that sure. there's if he were a receiver that had a similar skill set as the other two guys and was a bit redundant, then maybe I'd say this is going to take a bit. He's going to develop. But we just talked about what he can do after the catch and missed tackles force and how he can push the ball deep and, and the, the, the Cowboys' success in three wide receiver sets. So to me, and I think generally with the 21st pick, your first-round pick, you're going to see the most snaps anyway. Um, but I do think Quentin Johnson is going to have the most immediate impact. Again, maybe not the raw numbers. He's not going to have 1,500 yards if everybody stays healthy. But in terms of like per play, red zone, yak, you name it, like he's going yeah. to have that immediate impact that I think is greater than the other guys that they drafted. Yeah, and we've seen the Chargers be patient with a lot of their draft picks. They're not going to force these players to play if they're right. not ready, right? Um, so Quentin, like I think he he's the most pro ready of the, these options here. But um, I'm gonna actually going to go with Tuli Tui Pelotu for this one. I think you and I focus so much on the edge rusher as a possibility at 21 because edge three with this Brandon Staley defense is a borderline starter. And we've seen whether it be Kyler Fackrell, whether it be Kyle Van Oy and Chris Rumpf and uh, even Kenneth Murray getting some run at edge rusher, right? Like that player is going to play a ton. And we see in instances where Joey Bosa likes to kick inside, Khalil Mack likes to kick inside, um, you know, and, and I think you can, it's easy to see Tuli, Tui Pelotu playing a ton of snaps right away. And I think he brings a skill set similar to Quentin that is very needed along the defensive line. I think the Chargers needed to get stronger at the point of attack. They needed to get more violent, more powerful. And Thule gives you that. I think his greatest attribute as a pass rusher, as a run defender, are his violent hands. You know, heavy hands is a phrase that you hear a lot with him. And I, I think you see that all over tape. And I think he's a unique skill set because you watch a game like against Stanford and he's lining up as a nose. He's lining up as a two-tech, mm -hmm. a three-tech, a four-tech. And then you watch him against Washington State, where a game he had four sacks. He's straight up uh, standing up as an outside linebacker from a two-point stance, and he gives you four four sacks. Like he was able to fill so many different roles like, for USC. And you watch you uh, the game against UCLA too, and he's rushing as a stand-up inside linebacker. Like he did so many different roles. And usually a, a guy like that in college isn't producing a ton because mm -hmm. it's hard to get into a rhythm. It's hard to figure out like, okay, do I do this? Well, do like what kind of pass rush arsenal do I really have when I'm not like in that consistent mode as somebody who is just like straight up lining up against the tackle and just going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was able to produce at any sing at any of those different roles. So I love his ability to set the edge. I love his ability to stack and shed at the point of attack and be able to collapse the pocket is something that I think is huge for him too. And use his power, use his leverage to get under the pads of blockers, I think was a skill set that was really needed uh, in this edge rusher group. So uh, gives them a lot of flexibility up front, gives them a third edge rusher that can really, you know, push things and collapse pockets and make plays, just be disruptive. And, you know, this was a guy who had 13 and a half sacks as a 19 year old at USC. <laughs> and it was the most sacks of any USC defensive player since like 2003. And so I, I just think that he gives you a lot of upside. He's only 20 years old still, but I love his immediate impact on this team. It, it just gives him so much flexibility on third downs. You can roll out Morgan Fox, him, Joey, Khalil, 
and just create mismatches, right? You know, maybe you're relying him and Morgan against the guards. Maybe it's Joey and Khalil against the guards. Maybe you stand someone up like they did from time to time. So I think Thule just gives them so many more possibilities as a chess piece and, you know, like really elevates the floor of this pass rush. I was so bummed that I did not watch him. Of 125, <laughs> 130 players watched, and I somehow missed him. But boy, just watching him with the context of knowing he's on the Chargers and what he provides, it's like, oh, yeah, that's perfect. How did I not watch him? How did I not prioritize him? It was so impressive to see him be productive in so many different ways. Sometimes you watch guys and he's like, wow, they can do that. They can do that. They line up here. They line up here. But they're not really good at one of those things. Like doing a sure. lot of things doesn't mean you're always good at them. But Thule, and I think there are things he's better at. Like Tom Telesco does believe he's more of an edge rusher, which he will be. But I was just surprised to see how good he was at so many different things. So the flexibility, of course, is there. We've, we've honored an edge rusher in this class to be able to kick Joey Bosa inside or do whatever because the mismatches are so important for Brandon Staley in this defense. And Thule just gives you the opportunity to do so many different things. So I'm, I'm really excited for this pick. I'm really excited for Thule. He's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I still can't believe he's 20, man. Like this is—I know. Like you just—you just don't see this kind of production from a 19-year-old, you know, at a at a school like USC. So, you know, this was an edge rusher group where there were a lot of older players. You know, Keon White was a 24-year-old prospect. Mm -hmm. You know, Will McDonald was older. He was a five-year senior. Mm -hmm. And so for Tuli to have this kind of production, like, I think the the thing with him, uh, like, he didn't test right. So there just wasn't a ton of buzz around him because he didn't test. You know. And um, maybe that's an issue for some teams. Maybe teams like to have that kind of, you know, full picture when, when, when grading a prospect. And, you know, I think fans and, and draft Twitter are the same way. So uh, that could be a, an argument for him providing a lot of value in terms of draft status as well. So excited to see that one. All right, Tyler, we'll move on here to best scheme fit. Uh, this could be a lot of different answers. So I'm curious to see where you ultimately end up here. Uh, who's your favorite scheme fit with from this draft class? Well, I won't have much more to add because it's too late to whip a low to he in terms of scheme we, fit, <laughs> we just talked about it, right? Like everything they want to do on defense is right there. You need him or the other guys to put their hand in the dirt. He'll do that. Rush over the a gap. He'll do that. You know, stand up edge rusher. He'll do that. Like the flexibility of what this team can do on defense changes dramatically because of him. And you talked about the power element and the violent hands, the active hands, they're there. And again, he's 20 years old. Joey Bosa, I was listening to him on the Drew Tranquil podcast, and he was saying that he didn't really see the version of himself that he really wanted until he was his fourth year in the league or after four years in the league. Some of these yeah. guys, you know, the edge rushers that you mentioned, are 24 now. Imagine having to wait four years for him to get to, you know, 28 years old, 27, 29, whatever it is, to be the yeah. best version of himself. Tuli's not turning 21 until September. Right until about week one of the season. And so just to have him in this rotation, kind of like Quentin Johnson, you had Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Well, here's edge rusher royalty to learn from with Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. So a young player who's already very talented, who could do so many things, who has a huge ceiling that he can hit, learning from some of the best and also working with Giff Smith and, and Jay Rogers, I think, to an extent. Amazing. I love it for this game. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I was mostly curious if you're going to choose Darius Davis on special teams because uh, we, we're big Ryan Ficken fans on this sure. show. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, how can you not be after the success that he had in his first year as a coach, as, as special teams coordinator? 
Um, so I'm super excited to see what he's able to do with a guy like Darius Davis with four three six speed. Uh, you know, five career punt return touchdowns. Like that's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, I my selection here is gonna be Jordan McFadden, the offensive tackle from Clemson. Um, again, somebody we didn't grade. The interior offensive line class was so much fun. Um, and so I just there wasn't a ton of buzz about Jordan. He was a Shrine Bowl guy, not a Senior Bowl guy, not a young Declary. So I'm sure that's part of it. But diving into his tape over the weekend and kind of reflecting back on how Kellen Moore likes to use his interior offensive lineman as well as the tackles too to create rushing lanes at the second level in particular was a ton of fun to watch him work and you know the the chargers have compiled a lot of great second level blocking offensive linemen obviously it starts with Corey lindsey you can talk about zion johnson you can talk about rashawn slater trey pipkins as well and jordan mcfadden is the next in the line here like i love watching him get to the second level whether that's you know pulling out to uh pulling out on a screen whether that's working a, a, a combo block and getting to a linebacker at the second level, whether that's doing a guard count, GT counter, pulling across the formation. Jordan McFannon is a violent, nasty, athletic freak of an offensive lineman, and I cannot wait to see what kind of possibilities this offense draws up for him. And I think there's some work that needs to be had in the passing game. I definitely think he's more of a run blocker than a pass protector. Mm-hmm. Um, but shifting him potentially to guard, I think elevate or alleviates a lot of the concerns that I have as a pass protector. But the way that he's able to fit into this group of interior offensive linemen specifically, and just be able to use any of the four, I mean, Jamari is not necessarily a great second level blocker, but mm-hmm. you know, he's just like so strong at the point of attack. You know, if Jordan McFadden has to come in, I think you can do a lot of similar things that you do with Zion and Corey Lindsley in terms of getting them to the second level. And so, uh, schematic wise, I love the fit of Jordan McFadden in the fifth round. Uh, being able to pair him in this kind of rushing scheme where they're going to get these offensive linemen on the move, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, just watching all of these guys on day three, Davis we already knew about, but watching someone like like Matlock, like McFadden. You're like, how did I not think of these guys? How did I not find these guys earlier? Why wasn't there more buzz for them? And maybe it just is the the tackle to guard convert sort of thing where, you know, like when Jamari Salyer, yes, I know there was a sort of pre-draft injury, but even with that, he shouldn't have fallen to the sixth round. And someone like McFadden, perfect player? No, but watching what he can do, it's such a surprise that he was there in the fifth round because he's so good at so many things and really does fit the scheme better. I think Jamari Sawyer right away is a better guard. I don't think there's any question about that. Jamari Sawyer in college at tackle was a much better tackle, I think, than McFadden overall. I mean, you see that against Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo in that year. With that said, in terms of scheme and how they want to get their guys on the move, McFadden is perfect for that. I mean, you showed a screenshot of him and the rest of his offensive line and who fires off the ball first. He's like on to his second step before some of the other guys have moved. So he's a ton of fun. Again, I think... I said this on social media recently, but pick to pick, beginning to end, this is my favorite draft class of Tom Telesco's in quite some time, at least since we've been on the pod, because every player just seems to fit the scheme so well, and they're good players. Really, really good job. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, McFadden, also another uh, alumni of Offensive Line Masterminds with Duke mm-hmm. Manning Weather, so continuing to pull from that pipeline. I'm a big fan of that process in general, so... Um, very curious to see what kind of 
if an injury does happen in offensive tackle, obviously we're hoping nothing happens, knock on wood. Hopefully Slater and Pipkins play all 17 games, 18 games, 19, whatever it takes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if an injury does happen, I'm curious to see if Jamari is that guy to kick out or McFadden just comes in at tackle, you know, knowing he, can, he played both left tackle and right tackle in college. Um, or if that's Foster Sorrell at, at backup swing tackle. So it just seems like the Chargers have really valued that flexibility from these college offensive linemen. Brendan Hymas is, is another uh, guy here who played left tackle at, at Nebraska, played it well. He's played mostly guard and, and some center for the Chargers. So it just seems that they're really valuing these guys who have uh, played a lot of different spots, Maybe they were a tackle and then, like just break in, in case of emergency, you know, breaking glass, you can kick them back out to where they played in college and just have that kind of familiarity. And obviously that's, that's what happened with Jamari last year. Yeah. We'll see what they do with the depth. I think that's something we'll talk about maybe in a bit, but as far as flexibility along that interior, and then again, break glass, break glass in case of emergency players, you're feeling good. Like the worst case scenario, you put guys who have experienced that tackle left, right guard, left, right, whatever. You can play them out there if absolutely needed in during a game. And, you know, of course, maybe there's a drop off in play. Like if Rashawn Slater gets hurt, there's a drop off in play. Sorry. Like regardless of who you are, not many guys are yeah. better than Rashawn Slater, maybe two or three in the entire NFL, but you won't have to sacrifice your scheme. Like maybe the play will decrease, but the scheme won't be sacrificed because of someone like McFadden. So yeah, love the pick for sure. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on here to biggest surprise. Uh, maybe a draft pick that maybe made you stand up out of your chair and go, ooh, I didn't necessarily think about <laughs> this player here or maybe the scheme fit. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your selection here, Tyler? I could have picked most of them. And again, we didn't talk about Quentin Johnson <laughs> as much as we did. And I didn't watch yeah. Tuli Tuipolotu. So everyone was kind of a surprise to me. But I think it really was Darius Davis from TCU. Um, I definitely wanted to talk about him today regardless. I would, I would have made up a category for him, but... Sure. Um, it's not a surprise that they went with another receiver um, or another returner, but I didn't think they would add another one so early after taking Johnston at 21. And Telesco's never taken two receivers in the first four rounds before, and he's never added someone with this physical profile. Like Tevin Reese was close, about the same weight, but he was taller. Um, yeah. But but don't tell Darius Davis he's small man because like he can squat 550 at a buck 65. Yeah. Uh, as one of Feldman's freaks. The guy's legit. I, I I can't wait to see this this matchup between Eckler and Davis for you know the pound for pound strongest guy <laughs> in the weight room. Um, so I didn't I didn't think they'd take a returner this early. I didn't think they would take someone that's very different than what they're used to on offense at receiver. But they added one of the best returners in college football. So you know I can't be disappointed there. Yeah, I think biggest surprise definitely fits. But also I I think you could frame this in like a future training camp like who's going to be the biggest surprise pick mm -hmm. because I think he's being framed as a returner only right now, but I think he has legit receiver tape too, man. Like I know that he's smaller and stuff like that, but there are some times where he really routes up these DBs. Like I shared a clip on Twitter against the West Virginia game and he turned the, the corner around twice, like both at the point of his uh, release as well as at the top of the route too. So there's some elusiveness here that I think is being underrated. He's not just like a straight line speed guy. Uh, he, although he runs a four three six, he's very very fast. Um, but I think you could. It's pretty easy for me to see him slotting into that kind of role that DeAndre Carter had on the offense, where it's you know heavy on the posts, heavy on the on the go balls. Let's give him some crossers every once in a while. And let's see what he can do after the catch. 
Uh, let's hand him the ball as a jet sweep guy. Let's throw him some screens every once in a while. I mean, the the yards after catch ability between these two players is really going to help the Chargers give them some easy layups that they didn't really have last year. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Darius Davis pushed for like legit snaps at receiver, man. I really wouldn't like whether that's as a wide receiver for, I think is probably a bit much, but uh, like, I don't think he's just coming in to be a returner. I think there's a lot of upside here to, to be had as well in terms of receiving ability. Yeah, uh, Kellen Moore watched Cavante Turpin do it last year as a returner, as a smaller guy from TCU. Yeah. Um, and he had a whopping six receiving yards. So I'm hoping for a, <laughs> a bit more of that, more than that for Davis this yeah. year. And I think he can provide that. And Brandon Staley did come out and say he gives this team that fifth wide receiver element. So, you know, I, I do think he has to compete with Jalen Guyton officially for that 100%. spot. Um, but Guyton is currently not healthy. Um, and he's getting there, of course. He's not He's not 100%, though. So... I think they have some plans for him, and I don't. I don't think it's you know ten touches a game, but I think it's just every now and then you right. keep him active. Of course, he'll be the returner as is, and you can just do a couple of different things with them. You just sprinkle that on film because every once in a while you want to be able to show that look or just use that player for something that the defense wasn't expecting. So, do I think he has twenty touches this year? Maybe not, but I think there's going to be you know every other game at least one meaningful snap where there's a target or a handoff where he does something special. Maybe not every down, of course. Like, I do think he's wide receiver five at max. But it's going to be an important role, even in a very small role. Yeah, I think just having that confidence of him as your wide receiver five, like, that's huge. I mean, in 2021, the Chargers really only had four because Andre Roberts was was Mm -hmm. really uh, not much of a threat as a receiver. He was a great returner and uh, had some great moments that year. And this past season, you know, whether – there was just always an injury, right? And I think having Darius Davis as your wide receiver five is, is going to elevate the floor of that unit for sure. All right, uh, last one here, Tyler. There's been a lot of positivity on this show, <laughs> rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, but biggest concern post-draft, whether that is a unit or a pick that they didn't make or you know a certain spot on the depth chart, What's kind of your concern at this point after the draft? A combination of all those things, and it's backup offensive tackle. Now, there are options there. They might decide to Frankenstein's monster this thing and say, okay, we can get, you know, Hymas in this situation. Maybe it's Sarah, maybe it's McFadden, you know, maybe Salyer kicks out or whatever. And there is a world where they could do that, and they might do that. But right now, we just came off a season where when Pipkins went down, and let's say if Jamari Sawyer was not able to kick out to tackle, we saw a lot of struggles, right? There's a lot of struggles with that blocking unit when Pipkins in particular went down. And he went down several times, toughed it out, right? Amazingly so, and, and earned his contract. Again, hope these guys all stay healthy. But Rashawn Slater didn't finish the season, was out by week three. Trey Pipkins was in and out of the lineup, I think, three or four times with a pretty significant injury last year. And right now, there's no true backup swing depth tackle. Maybe mm-hmm. they feel that way. But right now, just as me looking at the roster, I'm worried about that spot in particular more than anything else. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think uh, ideally you'd want to have a reliable veteran back there. So, like, I think Will Clapp could fill, fill in at either guard spot if they needed him to and place obviously, backup center like he did last year. Just having somebody who could play reliable snaps I think would be huge for them at uh, offensive tackle um for me it has to be the tight end room and I Mm -hmm. think 
this is not necessarily about Gerald Everett or, or Donald Parham or Trey McKitty as players, but just like the way that it functions together is a concern for me. And this was the deepest tight end class we've probably ever seen. And, and you could go legitimately like 15 deep at this position in this draft. And you could find a, a legitimate, you know, potential playmaker down the road. And the Chargers did the way that the board fell. They didn't feel comfortable taking a tight end. And clearly they were not going to force that option. And I, I totally understand why. Because you have these guys who have played a lot for you. But, you know, the Chargers might do wide receiver heavy looks. But one of the biggest problems of the offense last year was just the tight end uh, functionality was not where it needed to be. I think Gerald Everett is an above average receiving threat. I think he does a lot of great things as, as a yards after catch player. I mean, he was arguably the best offensive player on the field in the in the playoff game against Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And you can do a lot of fun things with him. We know what Donald Parham can do whenever he's healthy, but that's a big if at this point. You know, coming off of the concussion, coming off of the back-to-back hamstring injuries, we just don't know if, if he can stay on the field. And Trey McKitty has been pretty up and down as a blocker. Doesn't Hasn't necessarily proven that he can handle a lot as a wide receiver. And so, like, we all kind of pegged the, the tight end as a spot that they really needed, especially to run this Kellen Moore offense, and they haven't addressed that. So I think if everybody is performing well, like, you feel really good about the tight end unit, right? But I just think they they are missing that fourth piece to challenge one of the three. You know, mm-hmm. whether that was another receiver to challenge Everett, whether that was another blocker to challenge Parham and McKitty, they just I felt like they needed to add another body into the unit. And, you know, they, they did it. And so I can understand why. I can understand why you, you roll with the same three from last year. Uh, I'm a big fan of the players individually. But I think just, like, I think the unit is just missing an element of functionality that I would have liked to see them add to in this draft. And I think they are going to address that at some point. I'm not saying they're going to get someone to start over Gerald Everett at this point. I don't think that's happening. But I do think they're going to add a body there. And I think Brandon Staley said, I mean, he came out and said, you can't always get what you want, you know, what you need in the draft. And I think, right, especially because that was in response to a question about tight end, I think you just know that maybe they feel like they miss an opportunity. Um, there weren't many opportunities, like you said, because the way the board fell, kind of like in some of our simulations, it's just right before the Chargers picked, the guys they wanted in that round were gone. So, you know, would you right. prefer them to reach in, in round three for someone, reach in round four for someone? Not really. And again, with the players they, they selected, I'm very happy. So I understand why they didn't, but I do think they're going to add, and I think they at least should add. So they have a nice rotating stable because next year, you know, who knows if Gerald Everett's gone, what is your right. receiving option? I don't know if they have a, a solid, pure receiving option out there for them, um, but maybe that's something they address in the draft next year. Yeah, and that's that's the thing too, is that uh, Everett's a free agent after the season. I mean, Donald Parham was... Uh, He's a one-year deal, right? Or is he a two-year deal? I believe he's a two-year deal, but I, th- I think most of these two-year deals are quote-unquote two-year deals, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it just, like, the way that the board fell, it was not very friendly, tight end friendly for the Charger, for sure. Uh, we felt like heading into day two that it was going to be tight end friendly, and then Laporta, Mayer, and Musgrave all went, like, significantly earlier than the Chargers were going to pick. Uh, there were some medical concerns about Darnell Washington, and then, you know, the Chargers take uh they take Thule right at 54 and then Luke Schoonmaker goes right off the board right after that which I felt like was a bit rich I felt like him taking him at 56 or 54 would have 
not being good value. So again, I understand the Chargers played the board the right way. I just I wish they would have been able to add a tight end at some point, both for the short term and the long term. So uh, maybe they address that with one of, uh, with a potential veteran free agent. We'll see. Um, the the roster is at 88 players right now, so they they only have two open spots. And how they go about addressing some of their their spots, uh, their open spots is going to be interesting over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and as we saw last year, within about two weeks of the draft, they signed three different free agents who I didn't know were available or I didn't know the Chargers could even do that. And they did. So, you know, I'll, I'll give it some time. Brandon Staley said after the draft, there's a window where they could add yeah. guys. And then in training camp, there's a window where they can add guys if they don't feel like they have the guys that they need. So whether it's now, whether it's in a few months, I think they'll add someone, whether it is tackle or whether it is tight end. Right. And, and like I said, overall, I really I appreciated their approach in this draft. Mm-hmm. Just adding good football players, fortify the depth of this uh, team overall, and then we can kind of plug holes down the road, whether that's through undrafted free agency, whether that's through veteran free agency. We'll see. Um, all right, Tyler, uh, final thoughts as we uh, wrap up our post-draft coverage this week. I am so excited to get into the dead months of the off season where <laughs> nothing happens and we got to make stuff up and make up games or something and rankings. But now I'm truly excited. And again, I'm here on the Chargers YouTube channel, we really do appreciate this as an honor. So I'm having fun, man. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we it's not the dead period yet. You know, we got the schedule release coming out <laughs> oh, uh, in a couple that's of weeks. That's actually going to be great. Whatever it is, it's going to be great. Yeah, we know the Chargers are going to go hard with that one. Um, we also have a lot of fun interviews coming, you know, um, one of the series that we do, there's definitely a big interview happening tomorrow. I'm going to tease that one right now. So that's going to be on our channel, the guilty as charged podcast channel. So make sure and go check that one out. Um, but one thing we do every single year too, is interview these beat writers who cover these prospects throughout their college days, you know, and that's, that's a series that I really enjoy doing. Uh, you know, we've gotten some great background information on guys like, like last year we had, uh, the Wake Forest guy, uh, come on and, and talk about Jaw Taylor and provide some great insight into, you know, his background and, and same thing with Jamari Sawyer and, and his background. So, um, there's definitely some fun things coming in the next couple of weeks on our channel. Obviously you guys know that there's great stuff coming on this channel as well. So make sure you subscribe to both channels. Make sure you like the videos, let us know what you think. And uh, we'll be sure to interact with you, whether that's on Twitter or on YouTube as well. Um, Really appreciate you guys for tuning in. That's going to do it for us today. And we'll see you next time.